Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. I had a patient call me, frantic, on the other side of the phone. She said, Doc, I just went in for my mammogram, just like you told me to, the annual screening, but this time they want me to come back. They want me to have an ultrasound or some other kind of imaging? I'm not really sure what. Does this mean they found something? Does this mean I have cancer? Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to help you and your family live smarter and healthier lives. Today we're talking about breast cancer. What are the risk factors? How to prevent breast cancer? What are the screening technologies available? And where do you go for support? Joining us today is Dr. Lisa Arwan, breast radiologist at Beaumont Dearborn. Thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. So just being a woman is the biggest risk factor for developing breast cancer. About 266,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer are diagnosed annually. Breast cancer will affect one in eight women during their lifetime and is the fourth leading cause of cancer in the United States. The five-year relative survival rate for breast cancer ranges from 98% for stage one to only 26% at stage four. Every two minutes, one case of breast cancer is diagnosed in the United States. Every minute, somewhere in the world, a woman dies from breast cancer. That's more than 1,400 women every day. Dr. Arwan, let's talk a little bit about the debate in terms of screening. In this opening story, uh, it was a true story about a patient that I had. And um, one of the things that she asked me was, should I have been doing monthly or daily self-breast exams? And I thought to myself, you know, I know there's been a lot of debate about whether or not you should do a self-breast exam. And I think even the American Cancer Society no longer recommends doing self-breast exams just because many times it leads to unnecessary biopsies and those sort of things. So I had told my patient, well, you know, a monthly breast exam might be okay, uh, a yearly by the doc, um, but, you know, a mammogram is the way to go. What are your thoughts on um, self-breast exams and how do you do them? Yeah, I definitely agree with all the three three of the things that you said. Monthly breast exams were once um, kind of recommended all the time, um, but like you said, recent literature and the American Cancer Society no longer recommend them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still, uh, I think it's still important to be able to uh, feel your breasts, know what it feels like, um, know if there's been a change. So if you're, you know, some still doing um, some sort of kind of exam just doesn't have to be like a regimented monthly breast exam where um, if you find anything, you need to come running to the doctor about that. Uh But if your doctor's doing one once a year, that's still fine. You know, but the number one and single most recommended thing that um, I recommend and that the SBI and the ACR recommend are screening mammograms every year starting at age 40. Mm-hmm. Or earlier, depending if you have other risk factors, uh, if you have a first degree relative like a mom or sister, then you need to start 10 years before them. In terms of the self-breast exams, is there a certain age that you would recommend that so that you're familiar with what your breasts are like? And should you examine your breasts during your period so that you know what they feel like during that time versus a different time? Basically, in the past, they recommended starting at age 18 and doing it every month, the same time, same place, uh, usually in the shower. 
And about right after your period ends, where the breasts have the least amount of turnover Mm -hmm. um, and the least amount of tenderness. And that way, you'll be able to tell if there's a change if you do it at the same time every month. However, um, like we said, there's no mortality benefit to routinely doing these. And so if you don't want to do them or you haven't been doing them, that's okay. But if you want to and you feel like you are able to actually notice changes in your breast, then um, that's how you would do them. Uh, the other thing, a lot of patients will come in, uh, younger patients that are younger than age 40 and say, I felt a pain in my breast. Does it mean I have breast cancer? Or I pushed on it and it hurt. Does that mean I have breast cancer? Uh, what are your thoughts about um, painful breasts and, and lumps mm-hmm. and breast cancer? Yeah, so pain is actually not anything to worry about. Um, you should still, you know, if you notice something new or change, you, you can still tell your doctor and get it checked out. But if uh, 98% of breast pain is nothing, it ends up being something that's not cancer, like fibrocystic changes or a breast cyst. Um, or too much caffeine. Yeah, yeah. From yeah, caffeine and chocolate can actually uh, cause some fibrocystic changes in breast, uh, or can increase pain from fibrocystic changes. And so, any and fibrocystic changes is benign; like it's not cannot lead to cancer. Is not cancer correct? Yeah, fibrocystic changes in and of themselves are not cancerous. They're benign findings, and a lot of women do have them. And so, that's important to know that if you feel pain, don't worry; you can still get it checked out. But mm-hmm. more than likely, it's not going to be anything. Okay. So you said the best screening test was a mammogram. Mm -hmm. Walk me through getting a mammogram. How does that work? So you're walking into for your very first mammogram. You know, what, what should you wear? What time of year should you schedule it? That sort of thing. So the time of year is pretty... It uh, doesn't really matter. Just any time after you turn 40. Um, <clears throat> what we do recommend is if you can, then wait for day 8 to 15 of your cycle. So after your period ends... And why is that? The breast tissue is the least tender at that time. So you're hoping that the mammogram will be the least painful. You'd want to wear something that's a two-piece outfit. That way you can remove the top so you can still have your pants on when you have your uh, the top gown on. Um, we don't recommend wearing any deodorant or any talc powder of any kind because they can actually show up as artifacts on the mammogram and make it difficult to make some findings. Also, um, you might have to come back for a repeat image if we do see some artifact on there. Okay, so you're walking mm-hmm. in, you've got your two-piece outfit on, you're after your period. But I think the biggest fear of most women is, is it painful? Because I heard they, you know, they um, compress your breast. And tell tell me, how long do they do that for? And what is the level of pain? Sure. So thankfully, most mammography techs are very friendly. They're very comforting during the process. At least that's been my experience. Compression is usually the worst part of the mammogram. Like you said, it does cause a little bit of pain. It's the terrifying part. Yes. (laughs) It doesn't last too long, about 20 to 30 seconds per breast. And then four mammograms are taken. Um, So each time that we take a mammogram, there is compression for about 20 to 30 seconds. Um, That it feels like a a kind of a pressure that builds up a little bit. And Mm -hmm. if it's intolerable or you can't handle it, you just let the technologist know they can dial it down a little bit. Okay, so 20 to 30 seconds isn't that bad. I think a lot of people who haven't had a mammogram think that the entire time that you're in there, um, your, your breasts are yeah. compressed. So it's only 20 mm-hmm. to 30 seconds. The images are taken pretty quickly. Um, and then I also heard that the first time you have a mammogram, since there's nothing to compare to, you're more often to find suspicious findings. Is that true? And how do you deal with that in, sen- in the sense of you're going for your first mammogram and all of a sudden you're, you have suspicious findings on your mammogram? Yeah, so that's totally true. The reason that we do the most amount of callbacks 
off of a first mammogram is because there's nothing to compare it to. We can't prove that certain areas are stable, whereas if you have multiple years of stability, you'll probably be called back less and less every year unless there's a new finding. But with your first mammogram, the callback rates are about 10%, so it's very common. About 1 in 10 mammograms gets called back for additional screening. And we don't really make any decisions based off of the screening mammograms themselves. We um, call the patient back and do additional mammograms and possibly an ultrasound for further workup. And at that point, a decision is made simply to return the patient back to screening because the finding was never real. Or we do a follow-up study in six months just to make sure that nothing's going on. Um, sometimes if we are a little bit worried about something, then we will recommend a biopsy. And even once a biopsy is recommended, still, it's very, very common to have benign findings as part of the biopsy. So what is the difference then of recommending a follow-up ultrasound versus an, an immediate um, intervention, like having to do a biopsy? Are these always done rescheduled or do they at, at any time while you're in for your mammogram, go ahead and decide to do um, a biopsy. So on rare occasions, sometimes we do same day screenings. Um, mm -hmm. There are certain appointments that have been, you know, different places in the country can do that. Um, but usually when we do a screening mammogram, the patient goes home, then we bring them back. And at that point, once we make a decision, they come back again for the biopsy. Okay, so walk me through this too. So there's the mammogram alone mm -hmm. that you can get. And then some people do a mammogram and an MRI. And then other people might just have to do an ultrasound. How do you decide and how do you know which test you're going to get uh, when you're going in for your mammogram? Because as a primary doc, for the most part, uh, we do our annual mammogram, give them the script and they go in. And a lot of my patients get really frustrated because they'll call me back and say, well, I have to get this other test and now I have to get this other test and they're not really prepared for it. Sure. So the number one, like we said before, the mammogram is the thing that we recommend for everybody. It's kind of like a map of and the breast. And what is that? Is that mm -hmm. an x-ray or is it, are you getting radiation? So, I mean, that's sort of what I'm, the differences between the different tests. Sure. So a mammogram is basically low dose um, x-rays, which is very highly regulated by the FDA. And um, that is what allows us to be able to see both breasts, see symmetry between the two, make see if there's anything suspicious. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like a map of the of the breasts, and it's the gold standard for detecting cancer. And that's about how long does that take? Like, a, is that 20, 30 minutes? The mammogram itself. Now, the appointment will last a lot, about that time, just by the time that you change and everything like that. But the mammograms themselves don't take long; a few minutes tops. Okay. Some people worry about breast uh, about getting radiation to their breast from the mammogram that can maybe cause cancer. Um, this has been studied extensively. There has not been any significant impact on breast cancer risk compared to the very high benefit of early detection. Mm -hmm. So while there is a very, very tiny risk of possibly developing cancer from it, the benefit of detecting cancer is considerably higher. So we still recommend them because that's what has been proven to save lives. With regards to who needs to get an ultrasound, that is usually for women with dense breasts. Okay. So what what does it mean to have dense breasts? So dense breasts are very common. About 40% of the women in the United States have dense breasts. Usually younger women will have denser breasts than older women, but that's not always the case. Um, dense breast tissue shows up as a uh, uh, fibrous, it's fibrous, so it shows up white on a mammogram, and fat will show up as black. So if you have more dense tissue in your breast, then the mammograms will be more white. And the way that we detect cancer is that the cancer also shows up as white. So it's a lot harder to find breast cancer in women with dense breasts because it's harder to see through them. 
Additionally, just having dense breasts alone increases your chance of developing breast cancer by four to six times. So it's important to be able to find cancer in these women because their risk is higher and it's harder to see through them. So uh, these are the reasons that an ultrasound is recommended for these women. Because you can see better uh, exactly. on an ultrasound. Than yeah. The, yeah, I tell a lot of my patients, they say, they told me I had dense breasts. It just means your breasts are young. You're fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Bowman is the first in the nation to install uh, a new technology, a breast ultrasound, to improve uh, breast cancer detection. Can you tell us about that and yeah. who should get it and um, what that all entails? Yeah, so very excited to have it at the Beaumont Breast Care Center in Dearborn. Um, we have the Invinia ABIS 2.0, which is the newest and updated form of ABIS, or automated breast ultrasound, which is basically a 3D whole breast ultrasound. It's the only one that's actually FDA approved for screening women with dense breasts. And the amount of cancer detects is it really improves over just getting a regular mammogram. So in a patient that has just a regular mammogram, about more than half of the cancers will, will be missed. If you add this whole breast screening ultrasound to that, it improves detection of breast cancer by 55%. So if someone comes in and they have a negative mammogram and a negative ultrasound, you can tell them about 97% sen- the sensitivity that they're, they're good. There's, oh. So versus if you have dense breasts without the actual ultrasound, you can only say 47% that we're not missing anything. Oh, wow. So that's a big difference. adding ultrasound is like almost, you're almost at 100%. So it's, that's why we really kind of push this hard for women with dense breasts. Now, if you don't have dense breasts, you probably don't need it. So then if you go for your mammogram and then they tell you that you have dense breasts and you might need to do an ultrasound, where does the choice come in? Is it your primary doctor that refers you to that or are insurance companies covering this? How do you get a referral to to get this special ultrasound? We're required by law in the state of Michigan now to report breast density. So you will get that little uh, statement at the end of your mammogram if you have dense breasts. Is that come as a percentage or how is that um, written? So the way that it, it will just tell you, you have what either heterogeneously dense or extremely dense breasts. Those are the two subtypes. Uh-huh. And um, and then they will say in the report, um, additional screening is recommended. And okay. that's probably where you're hearing people say, well, they said I needed an ultrasound. They said I need this. Yeah. So, um, you know, unfortunately, because this is still new and not all insurances are covering it yet, but and over the last few years, they've really come a long way with um, understanding that it needs to be covered. And, and if you have I a think it will family history mm-hmm. of breast cancer and, you know, you know that your mother had dense breasts and yourself, do you recommend doing that, even paying out of pocket for that as opposed to um, you know, yeah. possibly missing something? I would. I would. The costs are, you know, they're they're not astronomical. They're pretty reasonable for like, for example, we haven't talked about that yet, but 3D mammograms. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes patients have had to pay out of pocket for that, um, but the cost is not usually that high. It's usually less than $100. So even if it's not covered by insurance to get the 3D mammogram, which is also important for women with dense breasts, Mm -hmm. they can pay out of pocket if they're really worried about it. Okay. Now you brought it up, so we got to talk about it. The 3D (laughs) mammogram. What's happening there? Like what... When do you get a 3D mm-hmm. mammogram? So as of 2015, um, we started doing uh, 3D mammograms. And I think that down the road, almost every mammogram is going to be a 3D mammogram. So okay. it's pretty much better in almost every way, uh, for especially for women with dense breasts. Um, I kind of like to describe it like a photo album, like flipping through a photo album of the breast, mm-hmm. whereas a mammogram 
time it's just a still shot of the breast. It helps, it increases the detection of cancer uh, in those women. However, it's still not the same as an ultrasound. So if you have dense breasts, uh, recommending a 3D mammogram and an ultrasound is the best way to go. Okay. And are most institutions have 3D mammogram as an option? I think so. Everyone in Beaumont does at this point, but most areas in the country, uh, in bigger cities, do have what is known as a tomosynthesis or 3D mammograms. So as a primary doc, should I be ordering 3D mammograms for all my patients? Not for all of them, but if you know that they have dense breasts based on a prior report, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, So since we're talking about screening, let's talk a little bit about some of the barriers when it comes to screening. Like, why is there so much fear around getting a mammogram? Or what are some of the things that you've seen for reasons why people don't want to get a mammogram or cannot get a mammogram, you know, whether it be cost or uh, transportation to a center or whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. um, Having access or even knowing about screening. Um, Some women that live in more rural environments may not be even aware that they need to be getting screenings or just having the ability for transportation or cost. Um, Those are definitely barriers to screening. Um, also having a fear, not really kind of wanting to find out if they have breast cancer. They're just afraid of it, especially sometimes they have family history of it. Mm -hmm. They saw what their mother went through. They're a little bit more scared to come in and have someone tell them that they found something. Yeah. I had a patient in the office once who had a breast mass for over two years and uh, she came in just for a regular physical and didn't say anything about having a breast mass. And I was going through the physical and we got to the area of doing the self, uh, the physician directed uh, manual breast exam. And she had a large mass um, oh my goodness. Uh, on the right side, um, you know, it looked like the orange peel. It was like fun- fungating. Uh, it was it was I was so worried because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, my God, how could you have let this go for this long? And, um, you know, the patient just looked at me and said, I know, I know I should have done something, but I didn't. So I just wonder, what is some advice of really getting people to know that breast cancer screening can help you um, as opposed to, you know, really give you a a deathly diagnosis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, breast cancer treatments are amazing nowadays. Um, If you diagnose a breast cancer when it's less than one centimeter in size, um, the life expect the five year survival rate is almost 100% sometimes. So so detecting it early, technology has changed Mm -hmm. so much. Uh, my best friend's uh, mom was diagnosed with breast cancer about you know, 20, 30 years back. Mm-hmm. And the technology was so different then compared to yeah. now. And so and she always says that. Um, she tells me, like, if my mom was alive now, she would they would have detected it and she would have she would have gotten treatment and been fine. Oh, yeah. Even since I started tr- when I started my training until now, it's been about eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's crisp. It's clear. Everything is getting better and it's only going to get better. Um, so if you find and then when you, and nowadays too, the biopsies we do are just vacuum assisted. They're needle biopsies. They're easy for patients, in and out procedures versus having to have even like you said, 15, 20 years ago, you had to have a surgery to actually be able to sample the area. Mm-hmm. So you know, worst case scenario, these women come in. If we find something, hopefully we're hoping it's small. Otherwise, they would have felt it, um, and then we can address it, take care of it, and they can do something else. What are some of the risk factors for having breast cancer? So risk factors, there's a lot of them. Um, I'll just list some of the bigger ones. Basically, anything that increases your exposure to estrogen. So if you're someone that um, started getting periods really early in life um, or you 
had a late menopause, so you had a lot of increased hormones during so early early would be what before age ten. Yeah, yeah, before age ten or eleven, and then delay in childbirth, so greater than age twenty five to thirty. They say if you have childbirth after that, slightly increases your risk. Um, Obesity, especially after menopause, is a bit is a is a risk factor. Um, the fat cells create estrogen, and mm-hmm. so that can increase hormone exposure. Um, drinking alcohol in you know greater than moderation. So if you're drinking more than a glass a day, can increase your risk Uh-oh. because uh, <laughs> these are all small risks. Um, none of the estrogen-related risk factors alone will make a woman high risk. Mm-hmm. But if you have every single one and you add them all together, it'll increase your risk. Okay. Then dense breasts is a big one, and then anyone that's ever been ha- that's ever had a biopsy that showed atypia, or if they had radiation to the breast as a child, like or the chest, like they had lymphoma, and they actually had to have radiation to that mm-hmm. area. That increases your risk. What about what are some uh, preventative or protective factors um, towards not acquiring breast cancer? Basically, someone who um, had. Uh, started getting periods at a much later age, early menopause, if they had children at an early age, breastfeeding. Um, oh, there's breastfeeding. Some, been some studies that have, you know, shown a small increased uh, protective factor based on if patient is breastfed. And then um, I wanted to mention a few things that, you know, sometimes people worry that they're risks, but they actually aren't. Um, Smoking is actually not a risk, even though it's still not good for your health for wait, wait, other wait. reasons. Smoking's not a risk for breast not cancer? Not for breast cancer. It's hmm. a risk for many other different types of cancers, That's and it should still be avoided. But um, And then women in the past have heard, and I've heard a lot of even my friends ask me this, uh, oh, I heard deodorant can cause breast cancer. So that's not true. Um, it can cause you know certain problems. You shouldn't put it on if you're going to have a mammogram. Um, and sometimes it can accumulate in the lymph nodes if you've had like a lymph node surgery mm-hmm. due to breast cancer. But it's not really an increased risk for breast cancer. Um and then modern-day birth control pills are actually lower in dose than uh, our hormones in our own bodies already. So they're actually not considered a, to increase the risk. So oh. birth control is okay, even though I, I just said that anything that increases estrogen can increase the risk. Birth control doesn't. What about soy products? Um, like consuming soy? I feel like because if you consume a lot of it, it does increase estrogen. That mm-hmm. might be a small risk factor. But the chances of getting breast cancer are 1 in 8 just for the general public. So right. it's already, it's, I feel like it's already a slightly higher risk in general. So to cut everything out would be a little yeah. bit hard to do. So in some cases, there's strong family history of breast cancer, and it's uh, linked with this abnormal gene called BRCA1 or BRCA2. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's also CHECK2, uh, another type <laughs> of um, gene for yeah. breast cancer. But a lot of the focus is on BRCA, but yet only 5% of breast cancers are BRCA. So, you know, what do you think is the role of genetic testing and how does it help in some cases versus um, maybe harm in other cases? Even though BRCA itself is only about 5% of women with breast cancer, in those women, um, which is about 1% of our population, their chance of developing cancer in their lifetime approaches 60 to 80%. Mm-hmm. So if you know that you have BRCA, you're almost, I mean, the chances are so high. So it's important to know that. That way you can help protect yourself. So that's like Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So she had the BRCA gene. Yeah. And then there was all this controversy because she went ahead and did a double mastectomy. Mm-hmm. So because she was so uh, concerned about getting the, the cancer. So um, what are your thoughts about doing radical treatment such as that? I mean, with, with a lifetime risk of 60 to 80%, which is really high, 
I'm that's something that I don't see a problem with. If mm-hmm. you're if you're worried about it, you can't sleep at night thinking about this. Now, if you don't opt to have, um, you know, radical ma- uh, surgery, like you said, like a double mastectomy, which um, in women with BRCA, they actually do uh, different, slightly different mastectomies than if you were to have a cancer. Okay. So they do like nipple preserving um, mastectomies where uh, they can preserve the look of the breasts a little bit differently than if you were to have cancer. In addition, if you don't want to do that, then you would qualify for someone, uh, you would qualify for screening MRIs every year. So just having the BRCA gene, you'd automatically, insurance companies would cover a screening MRI every year for you. So if you have the BRCA gene, mm-hmm. you just go straight for a screening MRI. You can, even to... yeah, starting at age 30 if you find out you have it. Mm-hmm. And then is it is it true that you should be screened? If you, let's say your mother was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 40, then you should be starting to be screened at age 30. Yep. Um, so it's a 10-year mm-hmm. difference. And then at age 30, do you just do ultrasounds because of the breast density? Or do you start off with a mammogram? Yeah. So if you are one of those people that's considered high risk enough, uh, like with a mom or sister that had breast cancer. So now second-degree relatives don't count. But if you're it's mom or sister, those are the first-degree relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, then you should start at age 30 with mammograms. That's been proven to help, you know, make sure that you're detecting cancer early on, even if you have dense breasts at that age. And so some of the preventative treatments, we sort of talked about surgery is one preventative treatment, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of talk about hormonal therapy. So things like taking tamoxifen, um, because, you know, I think less than 30% of women want to actually take tamoxifen because of all the side effects. Oh, wow. But there is 50% reduction in breast cancer risk if you take tamoxifen, so you th- I'm thinking of people who have that really high risk, you know, rather than doing a radical surgery, would you opt to take tamoxifen? Um, what are your thoughts about, you know, hormonal therapy versus surgeries and um, what advice would you give patients? Yeah, I definitely think that those are viable options. Um, I know that they've been prolonging now, like uh, tamoxifen use after if someone's been diagnosed with cancer from it used to be five, ten, five years. Now it's recommended for 10 years mm-hmm. um, because of those reasons that you mentioned. But this is also a, a personal decision depending on what kind of cancer you have and what kind of risk factors you have. So that would be something that you would discuss with your with your oncologist or your physician. Mm-hmm. What about looking at men versus women? Because there's all this focus on women mm-hmm. and breast cancer. Yeah. What is really the stats? So what? let's say... Um, you know, if my mother had breast cancer and I'm a male, do I need to worry about that? So the only time that you would need to worry about a first degree relative having breast cancer is if it's a BRCA gene, if you're a man. Um, okay. Now, men are very, it's, it's still very rare for a man to get breast cancer. Out of all the breast cancer cases that occur, only 1%. Would you suggest genetic testing for a man whose mother might have had a BRCA gene? Um, So they don't actually even recommend the genetic testing at that point. So if the mom has genetic or has proven BRCA, they usually just recommend um, annual breast exams for the men by their doctors. Um, The annual screening mammogram hasn't really started it hasn't been research proven to pr- reduce mortality for men, mm-hmm. um, but I'm sure in the future, you know, they're still doing studies on that. Mm-hmm. So if you have a mom or sister that's already been tested for BRCA, you don't necessarily have to get tested yourself, but just let your doctor know and then they'll, um, your primary care physician um, can do an annual breast exam for you. And would you say it's the same sort of things, like the same risk factors then for males and then also maybe doing their own monthly exams and those things if that translates to women if that if you're in that category? Um, yeah, if you're someone that has um, elevated risk to that point where you have BRCA, definitely doing, um, you can do selfly, uh, monthly self-exams and then avoid alcohol use. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the highest rates in the world as any country that has a schistosomiasis, which is a liver fluke. Uh-huh. And so those men, men in those countries actually have a higher rate of breast cancer than anyone else because of the estrogen. Okay. So any men that are on treatments, 
like uh, that are taking estrogen hormone replacement treatments um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, um, they should also be a little bit more cautious about it too. Let's talk a little bit about the younger patients that get diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, I had a friend who um, had a diagnosis and she was in 27 years old. And oh so many things just went through her head. Like, am I going to be able to have children? Do I need to freeze my eggs? Um, am I going to be able to date again? Like, how do I talk about having cancer uh, in my life? Because uh, oftentimes we think of people having cancer, our mothers who have children and families, but there are also a lot of young women that get the diagnosis and it's life altering. Yeah. So what what sort of advice would you have um, for these patients that have all these questions? Like, what do I, you know, it's almost like you're thinking this might, I might lose my life, but then at the same time, survivorship is so common now. So there's things like, do I need to focus on things like preserving my fertility before I do treatments or do I need to just do treatments? Like all of these things kind of run through their heads and then, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my hair. Am I going to ever meet anyone? Like these are, these are the common things that I hear um, from young women and it's just a reality of life. Um, what's your exposure to that or what are your thoughts on what would you say to somebody who's having all mm-hmm. these questions? Yeah, no, I think that those are all so valid and, and really we, we do see younger and younger women with breast cancer these days. Um, fortunately, uh, it's, you know, the survivorship is there. So if they can just get through this period, it will be a difficult one. You know, hopefully there's, uh, ways for them to learn to cope and, uh, support groups. They can try to focus on trying to figure out how to have healthier diets. They can figure out ways to connect with other women that have been through the same thing. Um, I've seen a lot of young women that have a full recovery and um, they cope with, you know, losing their hair. They do get wigs and preserve their eggs uh, prior to um, having chemotherapy and go on to have fulfilling um, long lives with children and being able to kind of look back at it and completely survive. You know, I, I teach a dance class at Lake House, which oh, you is do? A, a cancer, yeah, it's a, um, it's a, a, cen- a cancer center. And a lot of the women in my class, mm-hmm. um, uh, are survivors of uh, breast cancer. And, and it's pretty neat because they all sort of bond over the fact that they've had cancer. Um, some have hair, some don't. Uh, a lot of times after class, we'll sort of do like a reflection time. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the women will say, I love coming here because I don't feel judged or looked at, or I feel uncomfortable going to a regular gym or, mm-hmm. um, but I, I hear all sorts of dialogue, which is, you know, how do you fight fatigue? I'm so tired all the time, like post chemo or um, how do you get a regular sex life again? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> you know, and then I hear always like chemo brain sucks. And I'm just like chemo brain. You know, these are things that as a physician, um, maybe my patients don't feel so comfortable talking to me about it. But other people that have experienced it, they can have more of a connectivity and really see what works. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I thought was also interesting was just talking about treatments in general. So a lot of times we want to talk to our doctor, which is very important. But I think some of these support groups are great for things like, okay, um, I was super nauseated during my chemo treatment. Um, and then someone else will say, well, you know what? You're supposed to take your anti-nausea medicine 24 hours before your treatment. And it's like, oh, no one told me that. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to try that next time. So these are great resources for support groups because a lot of people might be concerned about going to support groups. Like, oh, it's just going to be a bunch of people crying about the fact that they have cancer or their family members dying and it's we're all going to be depressed. Mm-hmm. But I found that just even being there as a, as a bystander, it was very uplifting. 
um, and you get a lot of great advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely recommend um, having support groups and uh, being able to communicate with other people that have been through the same thing as you always provides um, always provides you that extra boost of morale and courage to get through uh, going through something like breast cancer. Shell Crow, a singer and songwriter, was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 44, and she became a pretty well-known celebrity yeah. uh, about her advocacy for breast cancer awareness. And she once said, anyone who's been diagnosed with anything will agree that such news is not only a showstopper, but also an opportunity to recreate who you are and what you want your life to look like. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a pretty uplifting thing to say in terms of, you know, cancer changes you and having cancer can change you in so many ways. But with the survivorship rates, it's also a way to redefine yourself and find out what's most important to you in life and how you can connect with others and give back to others. So I thought that was a pretty phenomenal yeah. statement that she said. Um, just a couple more things in terms of resources, Do, any good websites or areas that you know where we can find out about screening guidelines or survivorship support groups? Mm -hmm. So I strongly um, support the Society of Breast Imaging and American Board of Radiology and American College of Radiology screening rules. And then additionally, there's um, places that people can go, like just the National Breast Cancer Foundation and the Susan G. Komen organization as well that has lots of good information and um, guidelines for, you know, when to get screening done, what kind um, of extra screening that you need, stuff like that. And then there's there's also options for free mammograms if you can't afford it correctly. Um, yes, uh, you can definitely ask your doctor or kind of keep on the lookout for that. Um, multiple hospitals in the area, at least here in Southeast Michigan, do offer, especially in the month of October for mm -hmm. breast cancer awareness, do offer kind of like free mammogram days or even like during that whole month. Um, so if you're someone that doesn't maybe have insurance and really wants or needs a mammogram, um, there there are ways to get them. Okay, fantastic. Dr. Arwan, thank you so much for sharing your experience and expertise in terms of breast cancer and breast cancer screening. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. It was a pleasure. Don't forget, podcast listeners, we are working on future Beaumont House Call podcasts. How to care for aging parents and art as medicine. Is it really an effective treatment? We also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at Beaumont.org. In the future podcasts, we will be answering our mailbag. Till the next time, thanks for joining us on the Beaumont House Call podcast. We leave you today with this healthy thought. Breast cancer is not a single simple story. Depending on the stage and the involvement of the tumor, the story could be very different for each woman. We know that prevention and early intervention is key to survival. If you haven't been screened, it can save your life. Encourage your family and friends to be screened. If it, there's some sort of barrier for you, like cost or transportation, there are programs that can help you to overcome those barriers. If you're at higher risk for breast cancer, make sure you talk to your doctor about what's the right test for you and whether preventative treatment such as surgery or hormonal therapy is necessary. Be vigilant about breast cancer detection. If you notice any changes in your breast, such as a new lump or skin changes, consult your doctor. Also ask your doctor when you should start your mammogram screenings based on your own family history. We all can wear pink to raise awareness. Just remember behind every pink ribbon is a real woman with a real story who suffered from breast cancer. Prevention and screening can save your life. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit Beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.